0: you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The crisp autumn air cut through the night as we sat around the campfire. The warm glow flickering against the canvas of our RV. My husband, Mike, and our 10-year-old daughter, Emma, were nestled inside Sharing stories and laughter, the remote wilderness of Kansas surrounded us, a perfect backdrop for a family camping trip. As the night deepened, a sudden crackling of branches disturbed our peaceful gathering. I exchanged glances with Mike in a silent agreement passed between us to investigate. Grabbing a flashlight, we stepped outside into the chilly darkness. The moon cast an eerie glow over the trees, and that's when we saw them two children standing just beyond the circle of light. Their eyes reflected the beam of the flashlight, making them appear pale and otherworldly. A shiver ran down my spine as they timidly approached us. "'Can you help us?' the smaller one asked, his voice barely more than a whisper. His companion, a slightly older girl, stood beside him, her eyes filled with an unsettling sadness. Mike and I exchanged glances, torn between a desire to help and a growing unease. Despite their eerie appearance, they seemed so innocent. With a nod, we followed the children into the woods. The night pressed in around us, and the path seemed to twist in turn, making it impossible to maintain our bearings. After what felt like hours, the children suddenly vanished into thin air, leaving us alone in the quiet, haunting stillness of the forest. Panic set in as we realized we were utterly lost. The trees loomed overhead like silent sentinels. In every attempt to retrace our steps only led us deeper into the labyrinth of shadows. Fear crept into our hearts, and whispers of doubt filled the air. Ours turned into a day, our journey through the woods reminiscent of a nightmare. Desperation gripped us until, like a mirage in the desert, we stumbled upon our horror. Relief washed over us as we hastily climbed inside, shutting the door behind us. Exhausted and bewildered, we left that desolate place behind. The mystery of those ghostly children lingering in our minds. As we drove away, the landscape gradually shifted from the haunted woods to the familiar sights of civilization. In the safety of daylight, doubts lingered. Were those children real, lost like us in the vast wilderness, or were they something else entirely? The uncertainty clung to us like the shadows of the night, a chilling reminder of a camping trip forever etched in our memories. One night, my friend and I decided to hike to the top of this small mountain at night for a meteor shower. There were four of us all around 16 at the time and thought it would be cool we drove over and started hiking we took a break about halfway when we noticed there was a guy following us in a business suit we were weirded out so we decided to start back up and walk a bit faster but by the next time we stopped he was like 10 feet away so we bit the bullet to see if he'd just walk back he didn't he stopped and asked if we were there for the meteor shower and if he could walk with us Weird a thirty-something-year-old man in a suit wanting to hike with four sixteen-year-olds, but whatever. As we were walking, my friend and I noticed he was walking really close to our friend, the only girl in the group like he could smell her shampoo close. We got to the top, sat down, and he sat down almost right up on our friend. With her reasonably freaked out, I made an excuse on why we have to leave early, and we promptly bucked it the F out of there. Nearly running the entire way down, when we got back to the car, we thought, cool, we ditched the weirdo. But no, when we were all in the car, our my friend pointed out that this guy is full on sprinting down the trail and towards our car with a large stick. Being in a car, we just drove out of there very shook up. We chalked it up to some dude on some hell of a drug, but two days later, we all got a text linking us to a news report about a guy that had strangled his wife and then proceeded to kill another girl later that night on a hiking trail. Yeah, was. The guy. The same dude at the same hiking trail. We never told our parents about the incident and never went back there. Ever. I was with a fire crew checking on a water source. I stopped and sat on a rock as the crew went ahead. The area was a free-range area. The cows that were in the meadow began to bellow and I watched them all run to the northern side of the meadow. I first thought there might be a cougar amongst the cliff area. I then scanned the ridge and noticed something standing at the edge of the cliff. I thought it might have been like a burnt tree there. Then it began to turn from side to side, and I then could see it had a head and shoulder form to it, after a few seconds. It turned and walked back towards the wooded area. I'll never forget that eerie camping trip near Fish Lake, Oregon, which took place about seven, ten years ago. It was a peculiar experience that still sends shivers down my spine whenever I think about it. You see, my friend and I were both avid believers in the existence of Bigfoot, and we decided to set up camp in the heart of the wilderness near the Pacific Crest Trail, not too far from Klamath Falls. As night fell and the forest grew darker, we huddled around our crackling campfire, sharing stories and laughs. Little did we know that our own story was about to unfold in the most unexpected way. It was well past midnight when the first bone-chilling screams shattered the tranquility of the night. Terrible, frightening screams that echoed through the trees and seemed to pierce the very fabric of reality. We froze in our places, our hearts pounding like tribal drums. Our eyes locked on each other's faces, seeking some reassurance that what we were hearing wasn't just a figment of our imagination. The screams continued, relentless and haunting, lasting for what felt like an eternity, five to ten agonizing minutes that sent chills down my spine. The night seemed to stretch on forever. The forest transformed into an otherworldly realm where fear and curiosity waged a fierce battle within us. As dawn broke, the screams finally subsided, leaving behind an eerie silence that seemed almost more unsettling. Determined to unravel the mystery, my friend and I embarked on a journey into the depths of the forest, tracing the direction from which the screams had originated. Following the trail through the underbrush, we stumbled upon indistinct tracks in the soft, damp earth. These tracks were unlike anything we'd ever seen before large and elongated, leaving a trail of intrigue in their wake, but the strangest discovery lay ahead. There, in the middle of one of the tracks, was a lifeless baby porcupine, its tiny body squashed as if by some unseen force. The sight was jarring, and a shiver ran down my spine as a thought crossed my mind. Could this be what the creature was screaming about? My friend, ever the intrepid adventurer, decided to cast one of the tracks as evidence of our encounter. As he worked meticulously, I couldn't help but glance around nervously, half, expecting some hidden presence to reveal itself at any moment. With the cast in hand and a deep sense of trepidation, we began our journey back to camp, our thoughts swirling with the enigmatic events of the past night. Upon returning, we couldn't help but share our experience with Mike, a fellow believer in the mysterious and unexplained. Mike was intrigued, and he promised to try and secure a photograph of the casted track for us to share with others. Our story had taken a curious turn, as the events of that night remained etched in our memories, a haunting reminder that the wild still held secrets beyond our understanding. To this day, whenever I gaze into the depths of a forest or hear a distant howl in the night, I am transported back to that fateful camping trip near Fish Lake, Oregon. The memory of those screams and the inexplicable tracks serve as a constant reminder that there are mysteries in this world that elude explanation, waiting to be uncovered by those daring enough to venture into the unknown. My setting occurred in the year of 2011, in April, if I recall correctly, in the jungles of Indonesia. I was a sergeant at the time of my experience and expressed a desire to be posted in the jungle. It was known that I had jungle warfare training, so it wasn't too hard to convince my superiors that this would be a good idea. I was stationed at an army base just outside of a small town in Indonesia. The town is called Dumai. The base was on the coast, and the nearest town to the base is a small village called Baho, and that's right around where the sighting took place. During my posting in April of 2011, I was preparing to participate in a jungle warfare exercise with my unit. I had just finished conducting reconnaissance on the objective and was returning back to base when I first saw the creature. I was roughly about a kilometer away from the base and was on a road that linked to Baha, It's a road that I'd taken many times before. The surrounding area was mainly filled with thick jungle, but it wasn't hard to spot open spaces between. We were moving along this road when I saw an open space roughly 150 meters in front of me. I looked through the trees and saw something that I can only describe as a dragon. The creature was on the ground, its wings folded next to its body, It had a long, slender neck ridged by spines that extended back to its skull. It was gray in color with dim orange patches on the side of its neck and toward the end of its tail. I was going around 35 miles an hour when I first saw it, slamming on the brakes, skidding to a stop when I reached the spot where it was sitting. I never found out what this thing was. It just went away as soon as I saw it. It was unresponsive to my presence and seemed unconcerned by me. I didn't tell anybody else about it. It didn't seem right to report something that I had no concrete proof of. It was just my word against other people's. How, if someone even tried to tell me this, I'd call them a liar. I still didn't believe my own sighting. The really weird thing is that I've been to Baja before and never once saw anything strange. I'm an open-minded person. If it wasn't for the fact that I had gone to Baha'u before and never seen anything strange, I would think that I was going nuts. What was it? I want to state a few things. This incident takes place around one, two years ago. Initially, I wanted to post my encounter somewhere online, but the more I thought about this encounter, the more it consumed me in my thoughts. Sometime after the fact, I figured the best thing for myself was to try and forget. This didn't work, so instead I'll do my best to lay out what I saw. I live in North Carolina. It's not a small city by any means, but it's a highway town at its core. I've lived here for 10 plus years. On the night in question, I was with my ex, we'll refer to her as Z. This was right around the time when C-19 restrictions had yet to be fully lifted, so Z invited me for a walk. She was finishing up her online courses for the semester, one being physical activity, so we'd often walk around her neighborhood to reach a daily amount of steps. Anyways, we head out on this walk. It's around 7. 8 p.m., so on our way out, the sun is already setting. We stick to the street, as it isn't a sidewalk, and we're just walking through the neighborhood. I've been down this area hundreds of times. I drove there nearly every day to be with Z during the pandemic. It's just your average single-story cookie-cutter. Every house looks identical neighborhood. On our way back to the house, it's dusk. A weird time of day, especially on this evening. It was almost a gray-looking atmosphere, but still illuminated enough to see the streets. Zlee is on a phone call for the entirety of the way back, so I'm just taking in my surroundings and waiting for the walk to be finished. That's when I see it. Whatever this thing was, about three houses down, mid-jump, arms and legs fully outstretched and leaping across the street. It lands on the other side in an instant with barely enough time to register that anything had even happened at all. At the time, it felt like a hallucination, something fiction that my brain had just conjured up out of boredom or lack of visual content. It happened so quickly, but this flash frame is burned into my memory now, and it's something that I'll probably never forget. It was huge and 100% silent. I only caught sight of it flying across the street and landing underneath the car. It was fully outstretched and took up almost the entirety of the street. Even with its hands on the ground, its rear legs were still stretched from the jump and extended far beyond the halfway point of this two-lane road. I can only guess the size of this thing was from ten, twenty feet in length. It looked extremely thin, beyond anorexic, but startlingly human from the waist up. dark gray. Its arms seemed to be car length, with large claws and its legs were bowed in a way that reminded me of a dog. The only feature I couldn't make out was its face. It seemed completely black but scarily human. Again, at the time, I had no idea if what I saw was some sort of weird animal or just a hallucination. Even so, I kept my eyes glued to where I had seen this hallucination land. As I got closer and closer to the car, I almost wanted to freak out. Z was still on the phone, though, so I decided to keep quiet and inspect the car for myself as we walked by. I turned my head as we slowly passed by the vehicle. At this point, I'm convincing myself that what I had seen couldn't be possible, but I just couldn't bring myself to peer and look underneath that car. As we walk away, I turn back a few times, really trying to process if I lost my mind for a moment or not. By the time we get home, I feel almost embarrassed. Did I just have a stare down with a car for absolutely no reason? By the time we walk inside his house, he's off the phone. We were kind of bummed that our walk was void of conversation, so we just catch up and converse for the next half hour. The hallucination had almost completely left my mind at this point. We just ended up going about our usual business. Honestly, I was just happy to be spending time with my partner. I was ready to accept that what had happened earlier was nothing more than my imagination. I had forgotten about the experience almost entirely until Z asked me something out of nowhere. Did you see something jump across the street earlier? I went on a night hike about 12 years ago with a meet-up group, just to experience one. I knew no one there, and I'm not one to make small talk. There were about 25 people there, and beforehand, we met in in a small cabin on the property where the organizer laid down the rules. This person was stern. We were to remain completely silent and listen to the night sounds. Keep up with the leader. It was certainly creepy walking quickly and quietly through the dark woods with strangers at your back. I think the leader was too rigid, and no one seemed to enjoy the experience. As soon as I spotted my car, I got in it and left. I'm 18 years old and recently graduated from high school. There have been some unexplained things going on in my home ever since we moved in last year. My younger brother was in his room, carrying out a conversation which was weird because we were alone at home. I went to see who he was talking to. There was no one there, so I asked him who he was talking to. He said the little girl with the black eyes. I asked where she was, and he said that she had left. I thought he'd just lying. About a week later, we started hearing voices and footsteps. I would be sleeping with my blankets covering me, and I would wake up with them, folded at the bottom of my bed. My sister got scared one night and crawled into bed with me. As she was getting into my bed, I woke up, so I turned on my TV. I also turned on my light to find the remote. I left the light on along with the TV. Right when we were both drifting off to sleep, my door slammed shut which is almost impossible as I always have a basket full of books in front of the door so that it doesn't close. The light then shut off and my TV picture went off with static noise. I got up and went to the door. I tried to open it, but it was like someone was holding the door handle from the outside. My sister and I started to scream when my mom came and opened the door. As she did, the light turned back on and the TV picture came back. We had a priest bless the house, but the activity continues. The house was built in 2003, and no one has died there. Can you tell us what we need to do? About a year ago, I was talking a walk at a local nature park. It's rather big, right alongside a big inlet river. I tend to cycle up there as there's plenty of drops and jumps for me to do on my mountain bike, but this one day, night was a bit weird, you know, when you can just feel something in the air. I was going about my business as usual and realized it was getting pretty late, like not dark, but the light was beginning to fade. Not many people were there that day, but all day, I just felt like I was being watched. I land up a drop which runs next to a set of stairs, quite a long one. Right as I hit the drop, I hear this almighty squirt. Really throaty bit of a roar combined with like. A bird, I guess. My handlebars wobbled a little bit, but I managed to get to the bottom without falling. I slam on my brakes and look up the drop behind me, and there was this figure, human-like, just standing at the top. He was wearing denim jeans with this weird, almost pagan-esque robe, garment which had like feathers on it, all tattered and stuff. And he just looked at me deadpan, no expression, and after about ten seconds, just let out this noise again, really loud, eyes stretched out, I shipped my pants, and began to cycle out. Now it's about a ten-minute ride of windy past going over little wooden bridges covering small rivers, runs. I swear to God, this noise happens like four more times, each a little closer in to top it off. There was nobody around, like normally you get couples walking through, or older folk with their dogs, but nobody, nothing. I've been back twice since, and each time I just cannot get comfortable enough to stick around and enjoy myself like I used to. One day, I think I'll grab a bunch of my pals from hockey and go exploring. See if we can figure that shit out. As a United Zade Air Force law enforcement specialist, I had earned leadership and respect by doing what I'm told to do, no matter how difficult the task. At the time, I was stationed at Barksdale, AFBI in Louisiana. A drugged-up civilian man attempted to beat me to death. He was charged and pleaded guilty to the attempted murder of a federal officer. I had been shot at several times by gang members who thought that they could send their buddies on base to sell dope and mess with the enlisted men. I had been recruited into nuclear weapons security and presidential security. These are just a few of my duties while I served. In January 2002, early in the morning, around 2 a.m., I entered a conventional weapons storage area on Barksdale, AFPAT. The CIAS area was located away from the main area of the base carved out of heavy forest. Inside the CIAS area are bunkers. The bunkers have large locks on the doors that are easy to see using a spotlight from a vehicle. I enjoyed doing the CIS checks because it was often peaceful, but on this particular night I had a gut feeling something was wrong. I called dispatch and informed them that I was doing a CIAS area check. Dispatch understood I would be in the area for approximately 20 minutes. The check ended up taking much longer because the weather went from misting to heavy fog and mist limiting my visibility to about 50 yards. With a spotlight, I crept through the CAS area to check bunkers. I became more and more scared, a fear that was new to me. I had never experienced this before. I felt almost a desperate need to leave the area. However, I wasn't finished with my area inspection. So I stopped my vehicle, got out, chambered around in my M4 rifle, and ensured I had an M9 sidearm ready. After re-entering the vehicle, I continued my inspection. As I cleared the older bunkers, I entered a new bunker area. The fear I felt was thick in the air, and I had a fight against that gut feeling that I needed to leave the area quickly. As I approached the newer bunkers, I slowed down and had to pull up very close to them because of the heavy fog and mist. I turned on my spotlight and was shocked to see a row of bunker doors open haphazardly and the padlocks cut off and laying on the ground. I immediately called dispatch and informed them that I needed backup, and I had found an unsecured area. Dispatch acknowledged and informed me they did not have a unit to back me up, and I should clear the area alone. Everything I was informed to do was so far out of the normal procedures that I knew dispatch was dealing with a much bigger issue. I put the vehicle in park and grabbed my Mi-4 rifle and slipped the safety off. I took out the flashlight and looked into the bunkers that had been cut open to find all of them completely empty. I called dispatch and informed them that I was going to return to the main base, and they acknowledged. I got back into my vehicle. The inspection was complete, and I drove up to the locked gate to exit the area. As I exited the vehicle... I again had this absolute terror wash over me, to the point that I looked around into the darkness. I even called out, asking if there was someone there. Nothing but complete silence. To make a long story short, the gate was stuck. I was unable to open it. The evil feeling became incredibly strong now. I could feel a presence standing behind me. It was full of hate. I became increasingly aware of this invisible entity or creature. I stopped and turned towards the area. I could feel this thing was near me, and I asked it politely to allow me to leave. I turned back, and the gate was free to open. I drove my vehicle through locked the gate from inside and walked about 20 feet to a pedestrian gate and attempted to unlock it to leave the area. I couldn't unlock it. I felt this entity almost pressing against me emitting an overwhelming fear within me. I once again turned towards this entity and asked if I could please leave. I turned back to the gate, and it was easily unlocked. I exited the gate and turned around, locking it shut. I had this distinct feeling that this entity was not able to leave the C.I.A.S. area, and I was safe from it, but it felt as if it was projecting hate and intense fear at me. I cleared the round out of my M4 and put the weapon back into the truck. I returned to my normal duties, but soon realized that several hours had passed while conducting my 20-minute inspection. It was now around 7 a.m. I returned to the main base, turned in my weapons, and went to the flight chief's office to explain why I was late returning. I knocked on the door and pushed the door open to see the day-shift flight chief sitting behind the desk. When he recognized me, he stood up and said in a very aggressive manner, Did you see it? I was thinking that the NCO was talking about the open bunkers. I said, yes, sir. He came closer in an aggressive manner and again asked if I'd seen the creature. I was taken aback and said no, but I felt it. He looked me in the eye and told me never to go into the CIS area alone. And if I was ordered to, which was common to discreetly inform dispatch, I can't enter that area alone because I was given a lawful order not to. Strangely, I was never assigned to the case area again. After many years, I still have no idea what I encountered that night. I was in Kananaskis, a majestic area of the Alberta Rockies known for large mountains and splendor. A friend and I street hiking in early autumn on a trail called the Little Elbow. Tombstone Loop, that's the setting. A sunny autumn day in what is basically paradise. We were between Romulus and Tombstone campsites when we decided to stop and get high before continuing on. We stopped and hiked up a cliff a bit and smoked our joint, then headed back down to find some tracks in the mud of a river bank. They looked fairly old, and we both agreed they were probably wolf tracks because of the amount and size. We kept our bear spray a bit handier, smoked more weed, and then carried on. We stopped to smoke a cigarette and eat some candy a half hour later at a river bank, and again, wolf tracks, but this time fresh, and this time going the opposite way. We are now a bit wary, but decide to smoke more weed. We both have our hatchets in hand now. Next stream, and we see the tracks going the opposite direction again. We decide the wolves have been zigzagging behind and in front of us and watching us pass from the hills around the river and are anticipating our continuing down this trail. This is day two, and we will be sleeping in a campsite, and there's nothing we can do about that. We decide to alternate three-hour watches overnight, but on the first watch, my friend wakes me up and says to stay up. There are three wolves across the river from our sight, rolling around in the grass and playing while occasionally looking our way. We are alone. The sun is setting, and a pack of wolves are watching us. We made spears out of aspen saplings and sat by the fire, listening to them howl and chatter from about 100 meters away the entire night. They would fight and start snarling, which was not intimidating at all. At about 5 a.m. they went silent and we got ready for them to attack, back to back with bear spray in one hand each, wet shirts over our mouths and spears in the other hand. I've heard wolves hunt at sunrise and sunset, so we figured before dawn we'd have to defend ourselves. The first wolf appeared east of us with the sun rising behind it, so we barely saw it. It was standing stock still, about five yards away, and we could both smell it. Like piss and wet dog. There were another two behind it and we presumed the rest were hiding behind us. We started chucking rocks at them and by seven the sun was up. Out of nowhere a wolf lunged at me and before I could use Even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the spray. It grabbed me and tugged. I screamed and looked down as it pulled my leg just like I'm pulling yours. Tonight my husband took our dogs out for an evening walk in our yard. We live on two acres of wooded land in the country. After a few minutes he came inside and tried to explain to me what he saw. He stated that something large and glowing flew in front of him, stopped and then flew back off into the woods behind our home. He swore it looked like a human with wings. We looked up moths to try to debunk it and found nothing that he thought looked similar. We went back outside to see if we could see anything else while outside. It reminded us that we have a couple security cameras pointed in our backyard. We ran upstairs and I had chills watching the video back. First thing we noticed, one of our dogs suddenly stopped with his tail pointed and was staring into the woods. A second later, you see something fly, basically flutter in my husband's direction from the same place. It was large enough to be seen on a camera a good distance away. Unfortunately, it wasn't visible on our other camera. I was too shocked to record the footage, but planned the first thing tomorrow, and I can share that here. But what does this mean? Why did it show itself to him? Is there something he should do? My husband didn't say a word, and our dog was not even looking in his direction. Also, I trust what my husband saw. He said it was a fairy, and I believe him 100%. It was larger than any flying bugs we have around here. glowing green in color, not a moth, and definitely not a lightning bug, as he was able to see its body, rounded head and wings. Also, no drugs or alcohol were involved, in case anyone was wondering. I wasn't posting to make anyone believe what he saw, Just looking for advice from others who have more knowledge to make sure our home, animals, and children are safe. Hiking in Virginia two days in and 20 plus miles from anything. In the middle of the night, while we were sitting around the campfire, we hear a major commotion coming down the ridge above our trail. Out of nowhere, some guy hauls ass by our sight, wearing a jogging suit and small, kid-size backpack. Two minutes later, two other guys come down the hill from the same place. No trail. Both leading German shepherd and dressed in FBI-type clothing. I'm thinking we were close to some hillbilly pot fields. Also, the brown mountain lights in NC are pretty odd. years ago around a decade back my friend and i were part of the same marine corps reserve unit the distance to our unit from my place was a good two hours one particular day we were required to report early to save time we decided i'd stay at his place situated halfway between my home and the drill center after a night of barracks cuts and a couple of beers my friend looking a bit troubled confided in me about an unusual problem with the house he was renting. He believed it was haunted by a ghost. I, being a skeptic, couldn't help but tease him, but his response was not what I expected. He looked straight into my eyes and uttered, "'It's a damn cat!' He recounted incidents where he'd wake up to see the cat lounging outside his bedroom. Each time he would leap out of bed to catch it, but by the time he'd reached the doorway just five, seven feet away, it would vanish. I laughed it off, attributing it to his imagination, and decided to crash on the living room couch. The stillness of the night was interrupted when I felt something brushing against my hand, which dangled off the couch. As I peered down, I was met with the sight of a cat affectionately rubbing its head against my hand. Panic set in as I realized I was paralyzed, the dreaded sleep paralysis, While my body was immobile, my willpower drove me to make a tiny movement. In a desperate attempt to prove its existence, I managed to grip the cat's face with my index finger, trying to nick my finger on its sharp tooth. Suddenly, the cat wrenched free and darted straight through the living room wall. The moment its tail disappeared, the paralysis lifted. Frantically, I inspected my finger. While there was no visible injury, I could faintly feel where the tooth had pressed against it, and there seemed to be a slight discoloration. The next day, still bewildered, I narrated the previous night's events to my friend. I may never know the truth of that night, but part of me is convinced I held on to a ghostly feline, even if just for a fleeting moment. The most uncanny thing, it behaved just like any ordinary cat. I've been a biologist ever since I was 20, two years old. I grew up on a farm in rural Illinois, so nature has never been a stranger to me. Playing in the woods was how I entertained myself growing up, spending all my time in a forest as a child. People expect me to have stories about Bigfoot or strange noises or finding some weird shrine out in the middle of the woods, but no... The weirdest thing I ever encountered was a bobcat screeching. It sounds just like a woman's dying scream, and yes, to everyone who's ever claimed to hear a skinwalker or goatman screeching in the woods at night. I promise you, it was just a bobcat. The truth is often mundane and disappointing. You'd think this would mean I'd have gotten bored of the woods, but I never really lost my love for them. Nature is boring. That's why I like it. You know what to expect. That's why, after college, I decided to make studying nature my full-time career. I'm a biologist for the Sierra Club, specialized in the ecosystems of Midwestern America. Fish, birds, deer, elk, deer, wolves, the like. I've spent weeks in fire, towers, cabins, campsites, always miles away from civilization. I'm usually gathering data on local wildlife measuring for pollutants, determining whether the ecosystem is stable or if anything threatens it. The work is not glamorous, but I enjoy it, and nature had still never surprised me. Until my last assignment, I was designated to be stationed alone in a cabin in the Ozarks. The assignment was supposed to last last three weeks in May. The Sierra Club was alerted to a steady decline in the local elk population over the last decade. Nothing drastic, but enough to raise concern. My job was to take census of the wildlife, measure for pollutants, the usual. These are my diary entries for my assignment, starting with my first night. I arrived in the evening in early May. Nothing was amiss the first two nights. It seemed an assignment like any other. The sounds of the forest were exactly what you'd expect. Crickets and owls hoot and the occasional elk call. I was sent here in May because that's their mating season. The elk are out and about looking for her. Aye, dates, and that makes them easy to count. Elk mating is pretty straightforward. The female lets out a call and waits for a male to find her. Usually it's first come, first served if you catch my drift. If only right, it was clear that love was in the air, and for all the calling, you'd think I would start seeing elk. But by the second day, I still hadn't spotted a single one. The third night, I was lying awake in bed, uneasy. Something wasn't sitting right with me. But I couldn't put my finger on why. I was about to nod off when a female call cut through the night. I sighed. That was the second time that night I'd heard her. What, are the fellas having a guy's night in or something? And that's when it finally hit me. I shot bolt upright in bed. For the last three nights, I'd heard nothing but female mating calls. That should have drawn every male within half a mile. Now elk are not discreet, and they don't beat around the bush. When that male gets to the female, well, that's just that the whole forest will know about it. I sat in bed, staring out into the night, pondering. There have to be males close enough to hear this female. So after three nights of her calls, why haven't I heard the main event? The third day, I went out onto the trails once again looking for some sign of elk in the forest. What I found was not encouraging. About a quarter mile from my cabin, I was trekking down the trail when I noticed something thirty feet into the woods. A large brown fuzzy mass lying in the brush. I smiled, an elk taking a midday nap. I took out my binoculars to get a closer look. It was an elk all right but my smile dropped when I realized that the brown fuzzy mass was completely still. I carry a hunting rifle with me for safety. I readied it and approached the elk carefully. It looked fine from where I was standing, but I nearly dropped my rifle when I rounded to the animal's front. It was carnage. The poor creature had been completely gutted. What little remained of its entrails hung loosely out of its chest cavity. The ribs had been pulled apart and huge claw marks scarred its flank. Its head was barely connected to its body by a few weak strands of flesh. I heaved and almost lost what little breakfast I'd had. It was horrifying. I had to take a few moments to collect myself. This was the first time that nature had surprised me. What could have possibly done this? I've studied wildlife for years. This was a bull elk in its prime. It would have stood nine feet tall alive, a king of the forest. There is no predator on this continent that could have taken down a full-grown bull. Pack or no pack, even a grizzly wouldn't mess with something this big. And bears are mostly scavengers anyway. My mind raced through possibilities trying to think of an explanation. Maybe it had been sick. Maybe a predator came upon it in its sleep, took it by surprise, Yes, that must be it. It couldn't have fought back. But this savagery, those claw marks were bigger than even a grizzly's and its ribs. No quadruped could have exerted leverage on the ribs to split them like that. You would need arms. A chilling thought occurred. A human could humans have done this. But why? Hunters would skin it or take the head at least to mount on their wall is some psychopath out here dismembering wildlife for fun. And that still wouldn't explain those gruesome claws. Whatever this was, it needed to be reported. I was sent here to investigate the elk population declining, and this had to be related. I fished out my camera to take photos. Having to document the horror from every angle was heart-wrenching, the look in its eyes. This elk had been terrified when it died. I went to take one last shot. Just as the shutter clicked, my ears registered something. A sound from behind me that my camera had nearly drowned out. I whipped around. I had barely heard it, but it was there, a twig snapping. My camera hung from my neck and my rifle from my shoulder. I dropped the one to snatch up the other. Idiot, I thought to myself as I pointed the rifle towards the sound. I had been so shaken by the sight of the body, I had completely overlooked one important fact. The kill was fresh. This corpse hadn't even begun to decay. This elk had been dead no more than half a day, and that means whatever killed it may still be nearby. With my rifle still trained on the spot, I backed away towards the trail. My hike back to the cabin was the only time in my life I felt scared of the forest trees surrounding me on all sides, no visibility. I jumped at the slightest sounds, never lowering my rifle, never going more than five seconds without looking behind me. I felt like prey, never knowing where the danger would come from or when. I didn't relax until my cabin door was closed and locked behind me. I spent the rest of my day inside the cabin, shaking. I readied the photos and sent them to my supervisors. They would take a day or two to respond. Until then, my plan was to investigate. During the day, and with my rifle ready, that night was my last night at the cabin. I was getting ready for bed when I heard a female elk call again. The first one that I had heard that day, and close, very close. Wildlife don't like buildings. They smell of fire and metal and gasoline, all unnatural to them. They steer clear. What was this elk doing so close to my cabin? I peered out my window into the dark of the forest. No sign of her. She must have been beyond the tree line. I grabbed my rifle. Of course, I wasn't going to shoot the elk, but I might send a few shots into the air to scare her off. It would be nice to know the elk are breeding normally, but I could do without front row seats. I unlocked my cabin and took a step out onto my porch, rifle still in hand. My eyes scanned the tree line, looking for the female. That's when a pair of antlers struck out from behind a tree. An elk's head followed them and turned peer right out at me. But this was a buck. Probably attracted by the female's calls. This was promising. But all the more reason to scare them away. I raised my rifle to the sky and prepared to fire. That was when the elk flew into the air. Or its head did. The buck's head sailed in an arc towards me and landed just feet away from my door. I stood there in shock, trying to process what had just happened. Something, something or someone had been holding the head, and had just thrown it. I nearly pissed myself in fear. I pointed my rifle at the tree where the buck's head had appeared. The light from my cabin barely reached. Were my eyes playing tricks on me? Had I just seen claws retreat around the trunk? I was frozen. I needed to reach behind me to open my door and get back inside. But I was too scared to turn my back on the forest or even take a hand off of my rifle. After a few seconds I finally gathered up the nerve to brace the rifle against my shoulder, my fingers still on the trigger. I groped behind me until my left hand found the doorknob, never taking my eyes off the tree. Thank God the door had not locked behind me. With my left hand, I turned the knob and pushed open the door, then drew it back to my rifle. I backed away quickly into the cabin, slamming the door and locking it. I hurried to the windows, drawing all my blinds and making sure each was locked, never letting my rifle out of arm's reach. The terror I felt as I approached each window, never knowing if there would be someone or something on the other side of the glass staring back at me. There hadn't been, which was almost as unnerving. I rushed to the satellite phone to call the sheriff's office at the base of the mountain. The relief I felt when they picked up. You need to get up here. I pleaded. Who is this? It was the sheriff's deputy on the other end. I'd met him and the sheriff before beginning my stay at the cabin. It's me. I'm the guy stationed up at the cabin on the mountain. Oh, sorry about that. What's the problem? There's someone up here messing with me. Get up here now. Whoa, whoa. Slow down. You mean like kids or something? No, it is not kids. Someone up here just threw a decapitated elk head at my cabin. In my panic, I'd somehow kept the awareness to use the phrase someone instead of something. I didn't want this guy to think I was drunk or crazy. I just needed him to get up here. Well, what did they look like? How many were there? Did they have guns? I have no idea, man. They killed a goddamn elk, cut the head off, and threw it at my cabin. Just get the hell up here. Oh, shit. Okay, okay. Lock yourself in there. We're on our way. Damn, please stay on the line. I'm scared here. I really was terrified. I wanted someone to stay on the phone with me, even if it couldn't help me. The man replied, I can't get to you and stay on the line at the same time. "'I'm calling the sheriff now. We're on our way. Just lock yourself in and stay there.' The man hung up. I swore. I was alone again. A female elk call rang out again. This time it was even closer. It sounded like it was right outside now. I took up my rifle again. That's when the tapping started. While I was talking to the deputy, I hadn't been watching the windows The sound was coming from the window to the right of my front door. My eyes widened in horror. A single gray claw was tapping on the right edge of the window. Just one claw, whatever it was attached to, wanted to stay out of sight. The claw stopped tapping. Instead, it drew itself along the window and out of my sight, leaving a long, ugly scratch. The sound was horrible, but it didn't stop when it left the window. "'I could still hear it, dragging along the wooden walls of my cabin. "'The creature was scratching through solid wood. "'Could it break through my windows? "'Why didn't it? My knees shook. "'I tracked the sound of the scratching with my rifle. "'My mind raced. "'Could this thing get in? "'How long until the sheriff showed up? "'I was high up on the mountain. "'The drive up here took forty-five minutes. "'Even if they hurried, it might be a half hour. "'Even if they did get here.' Could they stop this thing? Should I make a run for my truck? No. Whatever that thing was, it could get to me before I got the truck up and running. Something nagged at the back of my head, but I could barely think. The scratching was louder and louder. Whatever this thing was, it had torn a bull elk to shreds. How could I stop it? The bull. That's when I realized it. The head. It was the same head as the bull I'd seen earlier. It had the same scar down its right cheek. This thing was taunting me. It must have been there when I found the dead elk. It had been watching me, and now it had thrown the head at me. Was it telling me to go away, to get out of its territory? I gasped. With my mind racing, I hadn't noticed that the scratching had stopped. Where was that thing? My eyes darted from window to window. No sign of it. Until a loud thud right above me. It's on the goddamn roof, I thought. Its footsteps echoed through my cabin. Between each step came rhythmic taps, no doubt from its claws. Was it testing for weaknesses? Was it merely toying with me? It had only been a few minutes since I called the sheriff's office. I was still far from safety. I hadn't moved since the call. The thing on my roof thudded from spot to spot. The shock was starting to wear off. Focus. Think. I told myself. The thing had probably seen me through my window. It was right above me. The bathroom. The bathroom was the safest spot. There were no windows. If it does break in, it will have to look for me, then break through the bathroom door. That might buy me an extra minute, and it might save my life. The creature knew where I was. I had to try to change that. I slowly slipped off my shoes. Keeping my rifle trained on the roof, I kicked a shoe towards my bed. Sure enough, the thuds on my roof followed, stopping right above the spot where my shoe had landed. It's tracking me. I slowly shuffled to the bathroom, not raising my feet, afraid to make a sound. Praying that the door would not creak, I opened the bathroom, preparing to lock myself inside. I was shutting myself in, hoping that I wouldn't die in this bathroom, when I heard a loud scratch. Followed by a dull thud. It had jumped off the roof. It was on the ground again outside the cabin. Why was it going away? I was afraid to hope that maybe it had gotten bored. Maybe it had found some other prey. That was when I heard the woman scream. I gasped and covered my mouth. How was that possible? No one else is up here. A hiker, a camper maybe. The scream came again. Help! she cried out. I gripped my rifle, crying now. I was frozen in fear. That thing was out there chasing some poor woman, and I was too cowardly to help her. I just wanted to stay in that bathroom, hiding, hoping that every second the thing spent chasing that woman was another second closer to the sheriff getting here. I don't know how long I sat there cowering. Another, more desperate scream. Help me. There was something in her terror. She was more scared than I was. And there I sat, letting her die. My shame overcame my fear. I gripped my rifle tighter and left the bathroom. I marched to the door, ready to face whatever this creature was. Maybe I could distract it, buy time for her to get away. Maybe the sheriff would find her, even if the thing got me first. Just as I was reaching for the doorknob, she cried out again, a pain dang scream. I was too late. That thing had gotten to her. I was a coward, and because of that she was dead. The woman moaned in pain, this time just a few meters away from my door. This must be her final moments, and I listened safe in my cabin. She groaned once more. But this sounded different somehow. It was. My eyes widened in shock and realization. I drew my hand from the doorknob as if it had burned me. I had never unlocked it. Thank God. The moan came again this time unmistakable. That was not a moan of pain or terror. It was an entirely different kind of moaning. I backed away from the door. You mother F. I muttered. You almost got me. It all made sense now. There never was any female elk. Mimicry is a common adaptation in all ecosystems, both for prey and for predators. This thing, it let out female elk cries to draw in males. And then, well, I had already seen the result in the forest. That's why I never heard the elk mating. There was no female waiting for them, only this monster. And now it was trying the same tactic on me. I nearly sobbed in terror. It had tried to lure me with the sound of a woman in distress. It thought that might draw me out. When that didn't work, It switched to its tried and true method, a mating call. I aimed my rifle at the door. The moans continued louder and more intense, building into a climax. I was nauseous at the thought of whatever it was out there squatting in the dark mouth agape, emitting this perversion of a woman's voice. Trying to draw me out into the dark and rip me apart just like that elk. I stood with my rifle trained at the door, not moving. I had resolved that I was going to stand there until the sun rose, or until a sheriff came, and the moment I saw this thing, I was going to shoot it. I don't know how long I stood there among the echoes of that sick creature. Eventually, the moans puttered out, and I was left in silence, until the tapping began again, in the same spot as before. There it was, that single gray claw tapping on that same spot where it had scratched the glass. But then a second claw joined it. Then a third. It drummed them along the glass, slowly. Ever so slowly, a patch of gray fur poked up from the edge of the window. Time stopped, and the creature brought its face into full view. It was terrible, like a sloth. But its mouth and nose were caked in blood. It had tiny, beady eyes, front-facing, a predator's eyes, large pointed ears, almost like a bat, thin, cracked lips. The monster looked right into my eyes. It cocked its head, and then it pulled those terrible, bloody lips back into a smile, its razor-sharp teeth still stained with blood and flesh. I'll never forget them. It pointed that hideous grin at me as it drummed those claws on my window. Shoot, shoot, shoot. I told myself. But I was frozen. This thing was going to kill me. Light poured through the front window. The monster disappeared out of sight. The sheriff and deputy had arrived in their truck. The two of them soldered up to my porch and knocked. I had to shake myself out of my stupor and open the door. Both of them backed off and drew their weapons at me, screaming at me to put the gun down. I was still in shock. I think the only thing that kept them from shooting me was the terrified look in my eyes. They asked me what the hell was going on. I could barely speak. I just kept frantically repeating that they needed to get inside, that it was still out there. They eventually told me to come with them down to the sheriff's station. At first, I refused to leave the cabin. They sort of half-dragged, half-walked me to the truck. They said I was like an owl the whole ride down, my head on a swivel, always scanning the tree line for it. I must have fallen asleep after I got to the station. I woke up the next morning in a cell. I was confused and disoriented. I nearly wept from fear when I finally remembered everything I'd been through the night before. The sheriff and deputy sat me down in a room and asked me what the hell happened that night. I was silent at first. I didn't know what to tell them. If I told the truth, they'd think I was crazy. They asked me about the elk's head that I'd told them about during the call. It was gone when they got there. Just a bloody stain on the ground where it had been lying. I made up a story. Said that some kids were prowling around my cabin making noises, trying to scare me. I called the sheriff's office because I thought I saw one of them with a gun. The sheriff only made me go over the story once. He seemed satisfied. He took me back up there the next day to collect my stuff in broad daylight of course sure enough there were deep scratch marks along the side of the cabin the sheriff didn't look at me kids he said we collected my things quickly and hurried back down the mountain i reported to my supervisors that it was probably over causing the population decline they would never believe the truth the sheriff saw me off while i was waiting for the bus to take me back home He shook my hand and drew me in for one of them manly half-hugs. He gripped my shoulder. Don't come back, he whispered. I gave him a confused look. He stared me right in the eyes. It knows you now. Has your scent. Seen your face. Heard your voice. You got away once. It won't happen again. So don't ever come back. That was years ago. I burned the clothes that I had worn that trip, so there's no way they'd end up near the Ozarks again. Never been back anywhere near the Ozarks. And anyone who's ever asked me, I always tell them to steer clear. I've spent so much time trying to forget what I saw that night. But that face, I remember every detail. It's kept me up so many nights with so many questions. What the hell was it? Some freak of nature, a mutant that somehow survived past infancy? Something supernatural, an alien, those ears perfectly crafted to detect minute sounds just like a bat that explains its mimicry it grew up in that forest hearing the elk calls after a while it learned to copy them i spent so many nights asking myself how how did it know a woman's voice i'd dread to ponder the answer when sleep finally comes i have nightmares nightmares about campers sitting around their fire when all of a sudden they hear a voice calling out to them from the woods, crying for help. The voice in my nightmares, calling them into the darkness of the trees, away from the safety of their fire. The voice, my voice.